Our scripture comes from uh, Psalm 77. Um, in the Pew Bible, it's page 508, Old Testament, page 508 in the Pew Bible. And uh, could we stand together? Cry aloud to you, God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out with wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. Oh, hallelujah. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron, and the Lord always blesses the reading of his word. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would indeed bless the reading the hearing of your word may it be as a living voice to our hearts this afternoon for the comfort of your people i pray amen in a strange coincidence we had a series of messages on the subject of worship 
planned from several months ago, and the message scheduled for today was the place of lament in worship. What is, what is the place of grief when the people of God come together to praise? A few years ago, Galen and I were going through some incredibly hard times. The church that we were a part of was facing challenges and some deep losses. We had recently faced the loss of my father and my mother. There were ongoing health issues in our lives, but most of all, one of our children was battling acute sorrow and depression to the, to the point of becoming a threat to self. I'm here to tell you that the fears were terrifying. The grief was raw and gripping and wrenching to both spirit and body. The tears often flowed in rivers of sobbing grief. I remember one particular moment when sitting in my study in Tom's River, New Jersey, when the phone rang and I was overcome with terror because we were in that moment in life where we realized that any phone call could bring the most heart-wrenching of news. Got done with that phone call and hung up and with one of my sons standing on the other side of my desk, I all of a sudden started to cry. And then I cried some more and some more and some more sobbing. Absolutely crushed with grief and fear and my young son is on the other side of the desk watching and listening. I've had times when I've just curled up in bed and wept uncontrollably. I'm sure many of us in this room have as well. We have before us in Psalm 77 a deep, anguished cry of a believer's heart. A lament as this man, this child of God, King David, as he faced the sorrows of a sin and suffering cursed world. It is important that we understand that the writer of this psalm was a believer. It is important that we understand that this believer was King David, a man after God's own heart, a man who loved God deeply and was loved by God deeply. It is important that we understand he was a man of faith, and yet, though a man of faith, he poured out this lament with words that might well be shocking 
to some of us. Some of us have a background in faith that casts a frowning glance at mourning and lament as if it is not permitted for those whose faith is strong. Back when our youngest child was around four or five, we were riding in the car and I was kidding around with one of his older siblings and in teasing the older sibling just a bit, I said, Jonathan, the older sibling's name, Jonathan, you need to get a life. And while all the rest of us were laughing together in the fun moment, our youngest was quiet and thoughtful, and then all of a sudden he said, get a life. Can we say that? You see, in his mind, it sounded not quite right, and his mind, it sounded just a little bit too naughty or just a little bit too nasty or just a little bit too unkind. Can we say that? And if you knew our young son at the time, you would know that he was storing it up and filing it away for future use. I suspect that many Christians wonder when it comes to lament, can we do that? Can we do that? Aren't, aren't we those who have hope? Aren't we those who know how it all turns out? Aren't we those who know who God is and what God is doing? Aren't we those who have faith? Can we lament? Yes, we can and yes, we must. Did you know that the book of Psalms is the earliest hymn book and song book of the church? This, the Psalms are what the early Christians sang as they gathered together and right here in the Psalms, we find that at least a third, perhaps up to a half, of all of the Psalms include its, at least some expression of lament, of grief. That would make what the early Christians sang very different than what many of us sing today. Isn't it true? You're familiar with the phrase, praise and worship, right? It's time for some praise and worship. And most of us mean by that, it's, it's time for some feel-good music. It's, it's time for some praise, something to lift our hearts. I might suggest that if we know the Scriptures deeply enough, the phrase praise and worship maybe needs to be replaced with lament and worship. Biblical worship, as it is expressed over and over again, is lament leading to worship, lament leading to praise. One man, Mark Rogrop, writes this, You might think lament is the opposite of praise. It isn't. Instead, lament is a path to praise as we are led through our brokenness and disappointment. The place between brokenness and God's mercy is where this song, this lament is sung. Think of lament as the transition between pain and promise. It is the path from heartbreak to hope. The Psalms prove this to us, as does the rest of the Bible. 
Did you know? Did you know that there are three whole books of the Bible devoted just to lament? There is the book of Job, which is 42 chapters of sorrow. There is the book of Ecclesiastes, which is 12 chapters of confusion and sorrow. And there is the book of Lamentations, which is five chapters of almost nothing but lament. In Romans, we read the words of the Apostle Paul that we groan as we await the redemption of our bodies and that we pray with groanings too deep for words. In John 11, we read that our dear and wonderful and perfect and glorious Savior, He wept. He wept over the death of His dear friend Lazarus. In Hebrews 5, we read that in the days of His flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. And later, on the cross, He lamented, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? In Acts 8, when Stephen dies, there is great lamentation throughout the whole church. In Romans 12, we are to weep with those who weep. In Philippians 3, Paul says that if a friend of his, Epaphroditus, had died, it would have been sorrow upon sorrow for him. In Revelation 6, in Revelation 6, we see a vision of believers who have already gone home to be with Jesus, who are still longing with sorrow for the end to come and for God to make all things right. The believers in heaven are singing, How long, O Lord, how long? Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, God calls us as His children to a heart connection to this world and to the people in this world and to its sorrows. A heart connection that is so deep and so authentic that we feel the tearful pain of it all day after day. day, And we cry out to God in our anguish. We Christians... We know what God created this world to be. We know what this world is supposed to be like. We know what one day it will be like. But we live in the in-between And the in-between often stinks. The in-between fills us with sorrow. Sorrowful, Paul said, yet always rejoicing. We live there, don't we? We live there. How do we process it? Let me, let me ask the question and try to answer it not abstractly, but 
simply, what, what is lament? What is lament? I don't want to give you a dictionary definition because we are way too sad for a dictionary definition. Maybe just a bit of a description, a, a little look at it from the psalm in front of us. Let me begin by just saying lament is, is, a, is an individual and a shared experience of sorrow. It's individual. As you read this psalm, there are many I's and my's and me's. David personally was feeling this sorrow in the depths of his own soul. But this lament was also shared and congregational. For remember, it's a psalm. And the psalms were meant to be prayed and sung in the congregation. And so David is grieving individually, but he and God's people are grieving together. God intends for grief to be shared. I believe that when we lament together, sharing our sorrows, we in some way, in mysterious way, lighten the burden of those sorrows. And then I think we share when God responds with His comfort, we somehow experience a doubling and a multiplying of the comfort. I don't know if you remember a few weeks back, we shared a couple of really sad announcements that weighed heavily on our hearts. And as pastors ahead of time, we realized how heavy those announcements were going to be. And so we knew that somehow or other as we grieved over the announcements, there needed to be not just shared grief, but shared comfort. And so we asked our brother Shane to sing, His Eye is on the Sparrow. And you could tell by the time the song was done, there were many in this place who were weeping tears of comfort. The comfort was sweet, I believe, because the grief was shared. Dear friends, you do not need to grieve alone in this broken world. Dear ones, we need to be in each other's lives enough so that no one grieves alone. Lament is an individual and a shared experience. As we look at the text, we see also that lament can be loud and uninhibited. Notice verse 1. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and He will hear me. There, there is no need here. for There's no virtue in suffering in silence or having a stoic, stiff upper lip. Notice verse 3. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. That word translated moan is an old Hebrew word that speaks... N- Not just of a quiet groan, but an agitated, distressed, stirred up state. A loud, moaning cry, almost a howl of the heart and voice. Lament doesn't need to be quiet. Indeed, I think many times it needs to be very loud. Grief needs to be expressed. 
Lament can be resistant to comfort. Notice verse 2. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. There are times in life when the, the grief is so deep and so strong that it becomes stubborn inwardly, not by an act of our will so much as just the sheer strength of it resists comfort. There are seasons where no matter how much truth we hear or memories we cherish or friendships we enjoy or cards we receive or sermons we hear or flowers we get, nothing makes us feel any better. And that's okay. God in His time will heal. Lament can keep you awake at night. Verse 4, you hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. David says, I can't sleep. I can't sleep. Lament can make you long for former and better days. Notice verse 4, you hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Lament longs for better days, either in the past or in the future. Have you been there? Haven't we all? These are common expressions, stages, and phases of grief. Why do we lament? Can I, can I suggest that there are more reasons than we can count, but maybe we can put them in three categories? I think the first is the sins of this world. We lament just because this world is full of sin. And those sins are, well, first of all, they're sins committed by us. Are not some of our deepest laments over the sins that we ourselves have committed. But then there are sins against us. There is the prejudice and the bullying and the abuse and the hatred and the injustice and the cruelty and the malice of this world that sins against us and we lament it and we grieve it. Then there are the sins around us as we look at our culture and our world and we see that our world is full of sin and full of hatred and full of war and we grieve it and then there are sins before us. The longer I go in my life, the more I become aware of a long history of grievous sins done by my forefathers. I live with an almost steady grief over what's gone on in this country at the hand of my forefathers. And the grief of it is such that there are times I just lament, oh Lord, the sins done by us, the sins 
done to us, the sins done around us, the sins done before us, do they not cause us grief? Do we not weep? It's not just the sins of this world, it's the sufferings of this world. David says, Lord, when are you going to be favorable again? That word means, when are you you going to do the things that make us happy again? Lord, when when is there going to be a smile on our face again? Lord, the, the sufferings are so real and so many and so deep. Lord, please. Sufferings of this world. And then, perhaps the most grieving of all, not just the sins of this world, not just the sufferings of life, but the silence of God. The silence of God. Isn't that what David cries out? He cries out in verses 7 through 10. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has His steadfast love forever ceased? Are His promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has He in anger shut up His compassion? Do you see what's going on here? David is crying out for God to intervene and God isn't answering. God seems to be turning His back on David. God seems to have ceased in His steadfast love. God seems to have forgotten how to be gracious. God seems to have put His hands over His ears. God's silence is grieving, David. All of us know what it's like to pray for God to intervene with a child who's wandering, with a loved one who's sick, with a marriage that's coming apart, with a world that's gone crazy. God, please, please, Lord, hear us. Only to hear no response. Only to sense that He's closed His ears to us. We long. We long for things to be made right. But they just keep on seeming to get worse. And David laments. He laments. But there's more. We need to hear all that has just been said if we are going to be real and authentic people in a broken and messed up world. We need to hear it and process it and express it lest we be fake. And lest we live in such deep denial that sooner or later we just lose it. We need to hear all of that, but we also need to hear the rest of the song. 
We need to make sure that we see what David does here. Listen to God's Word beginning in verse 9 of Psalm 77. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has He in anger shut up His compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Do you see what David is doing here? He does, he does what is done time and time again in God's Word. When there are laments, the lament at some point turns toward God. He weeps and he moans and he questions and he grieves all in God's direction, but then it leads to restored hope. We need to, as one person has put it, we need to tunnel our way to hope. We need to tunnel our way to hope. By fixing our minds and our hearts on what God has already done. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. And remembering the deeds of the Lord, I know that He will do it again. And so David begins to just recount history. Let's do it here. Let's go back to the time, the moment of cosmic darkness, Genesis 1, where God created the heavens and the earth, but it was without form, it was void. The earth was just this mass of confusion and chaos. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And then God said, let me make man in my image took the dust and he shaped the man and then from the man shaped the woman and male and female together this dust turned dignified this dust turned to glory man and woman bear the image of God but then man and woman sinned God in His mercy did not crush them for their treason. Instead, God promised them a Redeemer. And that Redeemer would come and He would crush the serpent's head. And a little while later, God called Abraham out of a far country and said, Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation. 
and from your nation and these people, all the earth will be blessed. There will come my deliverer. That nation, not long thereafter, found itself in Pharaoh's cruel land for 400 years. God heard the voice of His people crying. He heard the misery and the poverty and the slavery. And He said, I will set My people free. Through plague and power, God struck down Pharaoh and his army. And God set His people free. God led them through the Red Sea, parting the waters made them, as the psalm has said, made them flee in terror when He spoke. The waters ran to the side so that His people could go through. Then God preserved His people. And then over centuries, God piled one promise on top of another. Savior's coming. A Redeemer's coming. The Messiah's coming. There's hope. And then in the the fullness of time, in the fullness of time, when sin could be tolerated no longer, when injustice could be tolerated no longer, when the brokenness of this world could be tolerated no longer, when redemption had to happen, in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born of a virgin, and that Son took on human flesh like yours and like mine. He was like us. He lived among us. He lived for us. He lived like us except He had no sin. Then, then the day came when the hour had come. And God placed on His Son all of your sins and mine. And God said, this beloved Son, He and I have agreed from before time began that this moment would come when the atonement required, the sacrifice required to take away sin would not be imposed on you or me, but would be imposed on Him and He would be accused and accursed in our place. And He suffered for us. And He bled for us. And He died for us. And He was buried. And on the third day, He was raised from the dead. And then He ascended up into glory. And then He was crowned as Lord of all. And from that throne, He now rules and reigns until every enemy is going to be made His footstool. He now rules and reigns and pours out His Spirit of grace and salvation upon all flesh, upon all kinds of people, so that all kinds of people, no matter how old or young, whatever the color of their skin or the circumstances of their life, can share in His abounding mercy and salvation. And from His throne, He now regenerates sinners like you and me. Makes us new. Gives us a new heart. Brings us to life. And from His throne, He now justifies sinners. Declaring us righteous and forgiven in His sight. Freely. Not by works that you or I have done. But because Christ has done it all. And from His throne, He now adopts sinners into His family. He says, you are mine and will be mine forever. And He seals sinners in His love by the Holy Spirit. 
Spirit saying, I will never lose you and nothing can separate you from my love. And He is the one who continues to work and continues to reign and continues to spread His kingdom. He is doing this. He will get it done until the day His plan is complete. Until the day when all things will be made new. This is our God. So let us weep. And let us grieve. But not as those who have no hope. Let us weep and let us grieve as those whose hearts are broken, but whose hope is steadfast. Because God is steadfast and will never leave us and will never forsake us. We need to be a weeping people and a joyful people. We need to cry for sorrows. We need to cry for joys. We need to weep the passing of a young man and rejoice in the birth of a young son at the same time. Because we live in between. But He will keep us. He will keep us. He will keep us all the way to the end. All the way to the end. Let's pray. Lord, who do we have in heaven but you? Who on earth beside you? Though our flesh and our heart may fail, you are the strength of our heart and our portion forevermore. Teach us to lament in hope, in joy, in faith. Even now, Lord, as we apply Your Word to our hearts in song and prayer, teach us to lament and to be comforted.